I saw things and um, I tried to distance myself, not knowing what I know now. I think if I was um, taught better or, or was more confident, I would have stood up to more of my colleagues. You are very welcome to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where, like the title suggests, we straight talk mental health. We do this to remove the stigma around mental health and generally just make it a little bit easier to talk about. I'm Cameron Clark, I'm a journalism student, and I'm joined by my psychotherapist father, Alan. Alan, would you like to tell the listeners what it is you do, professionally, of course? Shall you talk? No, professionally. <laughs> Shall you talk? I know, it's e- e- easy. <laughs> <laughs> I am a psychotherapist in private practice. My degree is in counselling and psychotherapy, and my master's is in child and adolescent psychotherapy. Now that you know who we are, this week we're straight talking law enforcement with Linda. Linda is going to tell us about her experience as a police officer in South Africa, and we're both looking very forward to that conversation. Mm. Now that we've gotten the formalities out of the way, Alan, how have you been? All right, man. Doing all right. You happy with that? You happy with that intro as your last one? This is your last episode? You see, I'm a bit of a professional, so I'll never, I'll never quite be happy. Yeah. But I think I can reaching be stars, somewhat man. satisfied. <laughs> Keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's my last week. Your last week. Emotional time. Forever. No, I wouldn't. I would be very surprised if it was forever. Mm. We have to. Um, we have to fucking wrangle you in some week. <laughs> unless there was you, you some can be a extenuating Peter, circumstance, I can't imagine this is going to be my last week doing this. Mm. You're going to do a pee and jump on just randomly every six to eight weeks. Hey man, you can't shit talk pee. He he's been good the last couple of weeks. He's been jumping he on a little bit frequently. In, yeah. Ah, well, he was yeah. he was. It was good because his own work schedule allowed it, and there was mm. no way he was missing the football while with Jim. So no, <laughs> that was happening. Probably won't one see him for a while another. now over Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, I probably won't see him uh, for a while now over Christmas. Yeah, we'll have I'd to see. You have going. to fucking get another horse, man. <laughs> I'd imagine you're going to be so, quite busy over Christmas too. I can't imagine it's a quiet time for you. Nah, I'll be busy. I usually finish around. I think the way Christmas lands, I think I finish up around the twenty third. I think. Um, I think that's where I'll probably finish on the twenty second. Maybe. Yeah, finish up on the twenty second on the Wednesday. And when do you get back on again? Then I assume you take about a week or so, is it? Yeah, I take the uh, go back on the fourth. I think the third is a bank holiday, is it? Because the first New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is a Saturday, so. I think the bank holiday moves to the Monday, is it? That's the way it goes. So I go back on the fourth. Plus, you're actually, you're actually taking a bit of time. Yeah, it's the it's the only time I I take a bit of time. You off. can. Yeah, that's my unwind down time. She said, "Imagine January in your line of work is a grim time." Yeah, yeah, coming up to it, any any of it, coming up to it, and on either side of it. So, mm. um, and then you get everyone new New Year, new me, get all of that, <laughs> and they're going to sort out all their stuff. <laughs> yeah but that only lasts the first week of january yeah exactly yeah, yeah. some people make it to the second <laughs> unfortunately week. what i need to do is i need to do like the gyms and just set them up with a direct debit so that they don't <laughs> come but they continue to pay every week <laughs> the same way the gyms cancel. make all their money where they overfill the gym because they know not everyone is going to is going to come 
Yeah, and then those people are too ashamed to go up to the reception desk and say, actually, I don't want to better myself. Yeah, yeah. take my money back. Yeah. And you <laughs> just, you just hold on. You just keep paying. Say, no, no, we'll, I'll go back now. I'll go back there now next yeah. week. I'll definitely start next month. Well, no, not this week. Sure. It's the middle of the month now, Jeez, but I'll definitely I've start got, next got, month. I've got that, I've got that thing. I've got that thing <laughs> going on this week as well. <laughs> and you can't start on a Wednesday. You have to wait until the No, you've got to wait until Monday. I'm not sure if it's the middle of the month. You have to wait till the month, the new month. Yeah. So why start in the middle of the month? You're not going to be able to get you, document folks. it properly. Yeah, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. What's been going on with you, young man? Last week, I very poetically gave a monologue oh, about following, da Vinci, da following your gut. Now, I was very disappointed to say I had no artists reaching out to me looking to purchase <laughs> my extended haiku off me. I call it. <laughs> So I left I left the podcast feeling very disappointed after listening to it. <laughs> I was expecting my inbox to be flooded mm. with prospects of large amounts of money being handed to me in exchange for my verbal masterpiece. Yes. That didn't happen. So <laughs> since Tuesday I've been greatly upset. Mm. And then last night I have, have a bit of, of another story to tell. It's not quite as poetic as last week. All right. So, last couple of weeks, I've been getting slightly concerned about the weather and how it's still continuously mild even to the end of November. Mm. I was thinking global warming is going to smack the bollocks out of us eventually. (laughs) And then come Monday, every night since fucking Monday, (laughs) it has been below zero and freezing. Mm. But last night was the worst of all. So, as you know, I go to college in the evenings. Mm -hmm. So, I usually get home quite late. But I actually got out kind of early last night. So, I was back at the train station in my hometown at 10 o'clock. I had a very hard time opening my car door. It was you know, o- one, one almost trick completely for that. frozen shut. What's that? Piss on the handle. What, is it a fucking jellyfish thing? Yeah, it's like a fucking, like a life hack. Yeah, but then I'm going <laughs> to get piss on my hand. Yeah, but you're on piss. That doesn't make it any better. Yeah, Anyways, better than someone else's piss. <laughs> I sat Would you prefer to come station. back and find someone else had pissed on the handle of your door? I don't want anyone pissed on the handle of my door. Yeah, but like if, if it doesn't open and it's frozen, that's I'm just saying, it's just a little life hack. Fucking take some fatherly wisdom here. Anyways, I sat in my car for 20 minutes in the train station for 20 minutes at night <laughs> while I wait for my car to thaw out. And mm. it was only me and there was one other car in the train station. I knew they were sitting in their car because they had their lights on. They were doing the exact same, same thing, thing I was. <laughs> wait but for there, the was car two, to warm up. there was two people that very cleverly got themselves picked up at the train station. So their parents just drove up, picked them up, and they were gone. While the rest of us were fucking freezing in our cars, waiting for it to heat up. That's the kind of parents you need. You need a parent that's going to pick you up. My mother doesn't even drive. <laughs> She's going to do, come and give me a piggyback. 10 o'clock last night, I was in Oma. So <laughs> it would have been a fucking long about turn to get you. Yeah, I can, t- I can tell you're up in Oma because you're once again having network problems, as we yeah. discovered very quickly today. Dodgy fucking internet. It's like they're funny money. They got fucking funny money up here. Did you ever see the 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 notes up the north? No. They're all different. Like they've got like three or four different ten pound notes, twenty pound notes. It's not just the same as the UK, like. No, like no, like they're literally all different. They can have three or four different kinds. Oh, as in like how we have our old ten euro yeah. note and our new ten no, euro note. No, no, no. Like you know, like a tenner, a, a ten euro yeah. is red, and yeah. all the ten euros they all look the same. They could have a ten pound note. And they could have two other ten pound notes, and they all look completely different. 
Yeah, and then but it's it all plasticky. It's, it? it's funny money. It's it, it's proper funny, funny money. money. Yeah. yeah. So and they've got funny fucking broadband there as well. <laughs> so there might be periods where you don't hear me oh, say they've anything. Got, they've got absolutely shit broadband there. Yeah. So if it goes quiet and this Alan's not talking, oh my god, is he all right? Alan's not talking. It's just because the broadband is dodgy. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you're already you're starting to lose a few frames there in your in your video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's not a good sign. We'll, we'll, you'll be dropping out very shortly, I'd say. <laughs> we had um, we had a big episode last week. We did. Fuck me, man! That was oh, Jesus. And I would once again like to express my disappointment that that didn't go viral because of all our fucking episodes. Oh. That one should have. That one should have did it. Yeah. I just I can't believe that it's so well. It it is talked about, but it needs to be such. A greater issue in this country, mm. like everybody in the country should be talking about. It. Yeah, well, let's tell everyone that didn't hear last week what we are talking about. Mm. So last week we had Teresa Lavina on. She was a filmmaker from Spain. She's been Ireland in Ireland, living in the West for twenty five years or something like that. Yeah, she made a documentary on the mother and baby homes uh, with a particular focus on the tomb babies, survivors of uh, the tomb mother and babies home. This has reached kind of national and international scandal for the tomb babies where 796 babies were kind of mass buried in a septic tank no gravestones no nothing just fucked into this thing by a bunch of bond secure nuns who ran the mother and baby home it was grim yeah to say yeah. to say the least not 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 so much Teresa's story but more the story itself mm like Teresa is obviously the documentary maker, so it's not her story. She does it from the point of view of other people. Mm. But some of the interviews she had to do for that documentary are just horrifying. Mm. How how can a group of people put anyone through that sort of thing? Yeah. And how it's... have the government gotten to a stage where they're just not like, right? This, this needs to this needs to be opened completely. Mm-hmm. But there has to be there has to be someone in government that's still associated with this, like because it makes no sense that how they just haven't come out, just blanket statement of going, "Yep, I'm gonna fucking do everything." You want your files? There's your files. You want, um, whatever it is. Yep, there you go. We yeah. fucked up. There you go. That's that's on us. There's there's everything you need to know here. And as she said, was it Spain or Canada? You know, as soon as it was discovered, they started the DNA database. You can trace back. Mm. You know, and they haven't even like the the septic tank hasn't even been opened. Like it hasn't been. It's that's just it's, like I I want to cover this from every angle. Like this is this is something I'm particularly passionate about. And as Teresa will hopefully have survivor stories. I'll have survivors. I've fucking children of survivors. Like this really needs to be documented of just how bad and how horrific. This 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 part of Irish history is like not just Ireland. The the one about Spain, holy shit! Yeah, she she was... spoke about Spain had a history of the same thing again, religious orders. But what they would do is they would tell these uh, unmarried mothers, these single mothers, that their baby had died. What they would basically do is they would bring out a dead baby corpse of kind of here's one we made earlier. Here's here's your dead baby. Meanwhile, they went off and sold your healthy baby to couples. The, the two boys that found the first evidence of bones from the mass grave in Chewham was in 1975. Mm. That's nearly 50 years ago. Fucking hell. 
and it still hasn't been dug up. It hasn't been excavated. Yeah. There, there's nothing to to prove that that's exactly how many bodies are down there. That's just their their very estimated guess. Oh wow! Like how how can they be sure that 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 there's night that there's seven hundred? Is it ninety six? Seven hundred ninety six. Yeah. yeah, bodies down there. If they haven't even bothered to excavate. But didn't Teresa said <clears throat> this was just one part? Yeah. Yeah, there's like different chambers and stuff like that. So yeah. there could be that, that's just one mass grave. And it was known about because this is a small little plot of land. Yeah. Just this this green space with houses all around it. And when the council were told of the evidence of bones, they just put it down to a famine grave. Mm. So they like could someone knew it was like, why would why would yeah. they build a housing estate? around this and then just leave this small fucking bit of green yeah. untouched yeah i don't know man that's a fucking and the worst the worst thing is there, there's tds rallying for this mm. to be dug up and for this to mm. investigate further yeah and the governments are still just like okay we'll give we'll give some money out to people but only if they meet the yeah. criteria for it yeah it's fucking it's absolute disgrace if you haven't listened to the episode i strongly encourage anyone if you don't listen to any of our other episodes just go and listen to that story even skip the shy talk at the start go to around yeah, 37 just go straight minutes into in the interview and just just listen to the interview because it's it's absolutely fucking disgraceful and, and then go read up on the tune babies if you don't know much about them yeah yeah so it was a heavy one but you know what i, I was listening to it back i only finished listening back because you know when i listen back when i'm editing them just you're listening for different things you're not really listening you're skipping through mm. when you're you're listening for, out and stuff for like faults that. more than yeah, the yeah, actual content. Rather than actually listening for the content. So I was listening back last night, finished off on my drive up. And, you know, I was listening to it and I was like, I'm fucking proud of that. Like, I'm proud that we've been able to tell tell that story. And it's not just that story because there's also the censorship that's around Teresa's documentary. Because a political family in the west of Ireland who took and Silk um who the documentary focuses on as a nine-year-old child physically abused her sexually abused her basically had her working as slave labor um they have come out trying to block the film and its screenings at various film festivals threatening legal action for defamation of uh the perpetrators within that family now they are a political family they are still they still hold uh political seats in the west of Ireland, and so Theresa, I think she parallels the struggles of the survivors. The, the the two of them are going through the exact same thing, trying to bring light to this, meeting roadblocks at every fucking every turn. Um, but and the the worst thing about them kind of scaring the festivals is you you don't have a defamation case when the person being defamed is deceased. Mm. There's there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. So they're they're not even bringing a real case to festivals. They're just trying to scare them. Yeah, they're just, it's just doing all out. about protecting. Yeah, their like the, the festivals are <clears throat> getting completely terrified of the word defamation. Mm. So they're just like, okay, well, we don't want to deal with this just in case something comes up. Even I, even when she named them, and I was because I had to say it, like, and I had to say it after the interview. I was like, are we okay to have them named? She's like, yeah. Mm. And Teresa's welcoming. She's welcoming, like, because she hasn't got a solicitor's letter from them because then she can yeah. do them for harassment. Yeah. Because they know the claims are true. They have known about this. Yeah. But now that she's putting it out into the public, now they're trying to, to stop it, but they legally can't kind of thing because, as you said, you can't defame the dead. And they, this was known about 
and Teresa gave them an invite to come in and yeah talk yeah. about it. But like when I I watched I watched documentary. Teresa was good enough. She sent me a link and I watched it and one of the family members and she mentions them in the interview was on talking about yeah. well we think they knew because why would you just leave this little part of it so you know it's okay to speak on that bit but the other part of it was well my father essentially the person being interviewed my father my family took in and silk we mm. were you know they were a wealthy family took her in as slave labor and family members then physically and sexually uh, abused her as a child. I obviously, I obviously don't want to give too much away from the episode because people really do. If you don't listen to any of our, of our other episodes, just go and listen to that one. Yeah. So yeah, with, I, was with proud that, of it. I was proud after I listened back to, you know, we, we could give a voice to that. And, uh, and it's, the se- it's the second time we've, we've covered something of this topic. Yeah. We had Anne-Marie with the birth mm. mothers and having to give up a child for adoption because she was, she was unmarried. Yeah, so like we, I think we're doing our part. Yeah, to at least highlight this this issue. If not, we're not done. We'll we'll tell anyone's story around us. Yeah, Mm. Teresa was good enough to put us in contact with some other people, so we're hoping to kind of further our own little investigation into this. Yeah, definitely. Well, now that we've gotten the the grim, grim but magnificent episode out of the way, (laughs) magnificent. I think that's a fair. I'd like to describe myself as that. Grim and magnificent. I I, I don't see how it could get any better. Yeah. Would yeah. you uh, like to shout out some of our lovely listeners? Yeah, you can do that. You're a whole. You're hosting this week. Andrew came at you. Andrew no, no, came he, back no, no, at no, you. no, no, no. He did. He didn't come at me this time. No, it, no, he didn't. This this was a friendly <laughs> interaction. It was. Well, the other one was as well. It was the pants. Andrew reached out to me. He he added me this time. Tweeted yeah. at me directly, which mm. I I was very happy with. Didn't do a side swipe. It's a subtweet. Yeah, side swipe. <laughs> Come on, man. Get, get with the fuck it. Get with the <laughs> screen terms. Screen grab. Screen share. Screen fucking yeah. screenshot. <laughs> you know you're you're technically a social media manager, and you still don't know the terms. Yeah. That's why you fucking our social media shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, I'm a fucking host. Technically, I'm a producer. Technically, I'm an editor. Technically, I'm a social media manager. <laughs> exactly. So you yeah. should know the terms. Nah, fuck that shit. <laughs> well, Andrew, ev- everyone by now should know Andrew if you listen to any of our episodes before, because Andrew yep. always shouts us out. He's very good he to does. us. He does. Andrew reached out and said, at Cameron underscore Clark. That's my Twitter, by the way, if you want to follow me. Mm. More than welcome. Dick pics are not welcome unless you're a homie. <laughs> Andrew said, at Cameron underscore Clark, you'll be missed off the STMH podcast. That's the podcast Twitter. You should really go and check that out. Look forward to your eventual return. Also, never shots fired, just taking the piss. Good luck. I thought it was very wholesome. I responded to Andrew. So thank you, Andrew. Looking forward to you taking the piss out of me once again. Andrew <laughs> responded to that. It was a one-time opportunity and too easy. That's it right. Was. It'll never happen again. <laughs> you can't make them that easy. No, <laughs> I, I've learned from my mistakes. Mm. <laughs> so I, I thought that was um, it's very nice for Andrew to actually directly yeah. go at me this time. Yeah, with words of gratitude. That's it, and I yeah. appreciate it more than mm. anyone realizes. I suppose. Did you um? Did you get us in trouble with the Emilys? Did I? Did you did you make a comment last week about Karen's should be Emily's? 
I did. I don't know. Yeah, did we get it was you, so yeah, you did. Emily, Emily commented on Facebook and straight okay, talking mental health on Facebook. Facebook. And I was like, so while listening, to you guys while doing paperwork, did I just hear rightly? Why not call Karen's? And one suggestion was Emily. You can go off some people, you know. You're trying to fuck about Emily office, man. I'm just saying, man. I've met a lot worse <laughs> Emilys in my time than I have Karens. I don't know any Karens. <laughs> well, that's why I said Poppy. You know, Poppy sounds like someone that her Pop- parents have no- money and she and she grew up an entitled little princess. I'm telling you, the and only, she's a fucking influencer. The only creatures named Poppy are dogs. No, I'm telling you, man. There's poppies out there. There is, there is not. You fucking, I tell, I tell you, we're not. We've less chance of alienating the poppies than we have of alienating. That's because the there's no. That's because the dogs can't listen. <laughs> Fuck! I'm telling you, there's poppies out there, man. Like on their birth certificate, it says Poppy. Mm, they grew up in D four. Her dad's a fucking solicitor. She's an influencer, and she's a little princess. And and she emails and she gets onto places to um, give her free food, free meals for exposure on her Insta channel. Telling you, just a warning to parents out there: if you ever name your child Poppy, you do not deserve to have kids. <laughs> we should clarify for there might be a Poppy listening. There might be. We don't know. Poppy, we're just joking, of course. We're we're we're, we're Poppy, painting a picture not of. Here. Please go and get a name change. <laughs> Shut up, you. You're fucking off. doesn't make a difference to you. I got to fucking, I got to try and maintain the podcast. In what way? I don't know. That's what way that's going to happen. So everything is still up in the air. Um, but uh, try and try and I'm working on something, but I'll, I'll scramble. This is me fucking what? Four times scrambling. No, no. P, then Michelle, then you. So got to find, got to find someone else. Yeah, I didn't have to scramble for the first one because it was me and P. I'm going to move on with the, with the correspondence. Move on. I think I <laughs> think we need to move on from my my poppy hatred. If there is a poppy, listen, <laughs> Emily's poppy leave em- the fucking Emily's and all, man. Yeah, sorry. I, I think I think I just went at the poppies a lot worse there. You did having a pop at the poppies. Yeah. Now we had we had a listener go under somebody else's tweet to shout us out, which I thought was was very kind. All right. Marion Shanley. I'm not, not entirely sure who she is. She's got a very funny Twitter handle. It's Popcorn Kneecaps, which I think is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> Put out a tweet about Port Arnold Art old. Collective. Must, uh, has to be old. When you what? get old and your knees start cracking and popping. and I think that's that. popping kneecaps. Yeah, yeah. Popping caps. Went from popping caps and fucking fools to just popping kneecaps. Well... Marion shout out the Port Arrington Art Collective. Not entirely sure who that is. I shout have them out. feeling that that may be David Butler. Oh, okay. And she said she loved what you do, the Port Arrington Art Collective, that is. And certainly my expert, mm. my experience, expertise in support and creative mental health and inner body wellness can be offered to your clients. Port Arrington Art Collective, which you think might be David? I think so. I think yeah, so. he replied, take, so thanks a mil, Marion. You might be interested in my good friend's podcast at STMH Podcast, which I think is very kind. Going yeah. underneath somebody's tweet to shout us out. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, we, appreci- not... we appreciate all the shout outs. We do. As our correspondence for the week, if you'd like to drop us a share, give us a comment, slide in the DMs, we're okay with that. You can find us on Twitter at STMH Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Mental Health. Our website is stmhpodcast.com. And if you'd like to drop us an email, not for dick pics, 
you can do that at hello at stmhpodcast.com. Now that we've gotten the correspondence, the social media plug out of the way, have you got any smiles and or royals for us today? I do. I have them all. Oh, you've got um, them all. Well, i got well, like one of each, I suppose. A nice balance. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One and one. I know you, lo- you love a bit of that. I do. Yeah, so smiles and rails for people maybe checking us out for the first time. Uh, it's the segment where we talk about our week, something that's made us smile and something that's got us riled. So just a little overview. You love that bit, don't you? You like you like when Peter comes on and explains the smiles and riles. Yeah, the, I thought the, there was the self-explanatory when I came up with it. That, that's what I thought yeah, too. When, when when I came up with the when I came up with the title, I thought, yeah, I was like, and I thought about it. I was like, and everybody, you know, it's something rhyme, something catchy. Is like, yeah, so, so, nah, it's also very obvious, smiles, but so, Peter yeah. doesn't seem to think yeah. so. Yeah, I know. But you, you, yeah, you were saying last week is like, oh yeah, Peter, I like when you come on and you that explain. That was absolutely it. sarcastic. When I said oh, that last all right. week, <laughs> that didn't come across. I'm the fucking artistic one. No. I'm the one that's supposed to struggle with sarcasm. That was or maybe maybe that sarcastic. was me struggling with sarcasm. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> well, smiles and riles. Either way, we believe are self-explanatory. <laughs> so, which do you want? Do you want a smile or a rile? Give me a rile first. Give you a rile. Ah, it's been on a few times. Inconsiderate drivers. They just fucking drive me mad. I I can't get it. I don't can't wrap my head around it well i many many years ago i used to work uh delivering tiles this was during the boom so you'd be delivering you know boxes and vanfuls of tile to building sites or private houses stuff like that and sometimes you might have a couple of sinks and maybe uh toilets and stuff you know a lot of ceramic stuff in the back so you'd be taking it quite easy and i was always conscious of the traffic behind me and if there was, you know, traffic behind me and I was obviously having to drive slower than than, than usual, I'd always pull over. I'd find somewhere to pull over and I'd, and I'd let them go and I'd, and I'd drive on again. Given I, I drive long distance at times, you'd see people like cruising along doing 60 kilometers on a 100 kilometer road. And there's a string like, you know, as far back as you can see in your rearview mirror and however many are, are in front of, uh, however many are in front of me. And I just don't get it. It's like, why don't you just pull over like? Do you not see the string of traffic behind you? One is like, okay, well, you've got no awareness of the road. Or two, you see them and you don't care. And that's, that that ties in with yesterday morning, I went to get, get diesel before before work. I've already given out about the price of diesel. I have to give a shout out to all the truckers that were protesting uh, yesterday. Block Fair the M50. Yeah, uh, I think every other time in the country, people are going, fucking farmers, oh, for fuck's sake, they're blocking this, they're doing that. But I think on this occasion, everyone is behind the truckers that are protesting the fuel costs in Ireland. You taking a load of trucks to block a motorway is a very good way of making your voice heard. Yeah, because well, you're going to get people to say brings anything from it now. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, something something comes of it because the fuel prices are just absolutely ridiculous. Oh, but I went in to get fuel yesterday morning. Uh, the the pumps were full. There were four four pumps. And they were full because in the middle was a horse box. One oh, of the Jesus large horse boxes. Um, so he was blocking two pumps in the middle, one so one either for, side, one for his own, I assume, and yeah, and then the horse obviously, box. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So instead of perhaps going on the outside one where he would block one, he decided to go into the middle and and block two. So as I drive in, I have to wait for another car to pull out. So that's I was there for maybe two minutes, um, and the horse box was there. So there was no one in the horse box when I pulled in. I'm waiting two minutes. 
to get in so I can pump the fuel. I pump my fuel, I fill the tank, so you're talking another three, four minutes, five minutes, whatever it may be. Still no one in the horse box. I go in, the guy driving the horse box is at the deli counter. He's fluffing over whatever he might be ordering. He's ahead of me. He goes, he's paying at the till. I don't know what he's doing. He waits while he puts every individual thing back in. At the meantime, all the pumps, two blo- two pumps are still blocked outside. So I go, I pay, I get to pick up a few little things. So it's another minute, we'll say, that I'm in there. I come out, the horse box is still there. I get into my car, I look up, and there's your man sitting in the horse box, drinking his cup of tea. Jesus Christ. Well, he's and I'm just like, bumps. have you no fucking consideration? Like, this is mm. before, you know, people are on their way to work. I start a little bit later, so it doesn't, doesn't matter to me, but like, do you not just give a shit like that? You're blocking two other pumps, and you're fucking holding up the place. And this is before, I, I just what, nine o'clock, like? This this nine o'clock, yeah. And yeah, so when, like, pe- yeah, when people are probably trying to get their kids to school, or have to go into work, and yeah. they're probably in a hurry. Yeah, of course. Jesus Christ! I just I just don't get these in, inconsiderate drivers. No, uh, it's like it, it's like do, do you know and you don't care, or are you that fucking stupid that you don't know? I'd say they no one care. I I can't imagine anyone yeah. is is stupid enough to just not realize what they're doing. Yeah, so that's that's me, Royal in, inconsiderate drivers. You want to go Royal Royal or smile smile or what? What way do you want to go here? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go Royal Royal. We'll we'll switch it up. Got Royal Royal. Give me give me a Royal. I've got a, I got a Royal. It's a continuation of last week's Royal. But I'm not as right. riled about it this week. So last week I talked about... <laughs> okay. um, last it's been week downgraded about, to an LR, um, has it? A little riled? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> last week I spoke about um, my fear of a prospective lockdown. You did. Over, over yeah. the Christmas holidays. Now, over the last week, my fear has slowly been coming to fruition. As rumours mm. have come up that pubs will be closing on the 13th of December. There is closing a newspaper. Altogether. You text me to say you could be... Yeah. It could be out of work. So is there talk of closing them altogether? Yeah. There, there's a, a newspaper did put this up. Now, they're not the most reliable newspaper, so I won't name them. We don't right. need a defamation yeah, yeah. case on our hands, but they did, they did say <laughs> they are it alive. Be, yeah, it would be the 13th of December that pubs would be closing. And if not that, then pubs would close at 10 o'clock, which would be a lot worse, I think. If you're, if you're going to close the 10 o'clock, just close it. Because any part-time staff that's coming in for, say, 5 o'clock, that's a five-hour shift, and two shifts a week is going to be 100 euros. It's not worth dog shit to them. You'd be better off going on the PUP. So if you're going to do that, close us. Don't, mm. don't give us a 10 o'clock closing time. It's not worth it. Mm. But I, I was speaking to a nurse during the week, and after hearing how bad the ICU bed situation is, I can understand why this step probably needs to be taken. Mm. Because now it's partially the government's fault. They didn't make more ICU beds which was which were promised by the end of this year it mm. didn't happen so once again our ICU beds are completely full and mm. this nurse was saying that as soon as somebody gets out of an ICU bed it's immediately replaced with somebody yeah. else so it's not the cases I'm so much worried about I don't think anyone really cares about the case numbers anymore mm. it's just the ICU bed situation is so bad that maybe closing pubs and nightclubs because I've seen it myself now where I work, we are very strict on the COVID certs and sanitizing and wearing a mask. But I have seen a lot of pubs that are, are not doing that. And I haven't been in a nightclub it, since since they've reopened. So I, I can't mm. test to that. But from what I've heard, it's also fairly Free not great. Yeah. Mm. Are the pubs still the same? Or well, can you just walk in and as long as you've got your COVID cert, you can just drink? Are the tables separated? Is it you know, limited? Now I'm not I'm not sure what the actual restrictions are. Now for us we still have 
a, at least a meter gap between each table and we don't have anyone mm. at the bar i know i know you're allowed to have people queue up at bars we're mm. not doing that but i don't, I don't know That's about true. other places i haven't seen a pub do it yet but i know nightclubs there are there is nightclubs doing queues at the bar but mm. at least in my own situation where i work we're very covid conscious like if we get mm. up and see someone walking around with a mask we tell them to sit back down and put their mask on before they do anything and we don't mm. let people in without one and their tables are spaced but i know there is a lot of pubs that aren't following the rules and there was a report came out a couple of weeks ago that between 35 and 45 percent of people aren't being asked for a covid certs when they go into a pub and a restaurant oh. and like mm. that's just fucking stupid as as a bar owner you should know we're under a very watchful eye at the minute we're on very thin ice mm. and we have been since we reopened where mm. our boss said to us the first thing he said when we reopened was that we can't make mistakes because they'll just close us down again and now mm. that report has really just pissed the government off so i think like they need a reason <laughs> yeah well yeah like they need a reason now i obviously don't want to be our work again but i don't think it is mm. the worst step in the world i don't think it's a stupid step to close pubs at least yeah, for the, the, whole, the busiest the, time of the year. Yeah, but the whole thing is is fucking stupid in and of itself. And and this is the kind of anti-vaccination stance on it, which you can kind of understand as well. It's like, okay, you're checking the COVID cert, but you can still spread it. You know, it just proves you're, just proves you're vaccinated, but you can still spread the virus if you're vaccinated. Yeah, but I you think the, catch it. the worry still, is that spread it. the very high majority of people in ICU beds are unvaccinated. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah, an that, that that's I know, the issue. I, know I don't think it's the spread of COVID that's the problem. Doctors, it's yeah. more yeah. that as, as soon as an unvaccinated person gets it, they're pretty much in an ICU yeah. bed, and yeah, that's what's yeah. creating the the backlog. Mm. And then I suppose yeah. to go in with that is the wait time for a co- a PCR test at the minute is ridiculous. Oh, it's gone again, isn't it? Oh, it's fucking criminal. I had a friend of mine whose brother was a close contact, so his brother was going to get a test. He waited four days for a PCR test. Jeez. When he got his PCR test, he waited two days for his results. COVID, oh, I think, takes five sake. or six days and you're vaccinated to get out of your system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the time he got his results, he probably had COVID out of his system. But he still had to isolate for 10 days after that because he had mm-hmm. got a positive test. He missed 16 days of work because Jeez. of the wait time for a PCR test. And then... Two days to wait in your, to wait in your results is crazy as well. Mm. Christ, that's an understandable rail. Mm. So, yeah, but like I said, the one yes. about the closing the pubs and all, I'm understanding it a bit more this week. Seeing mm. how bad, it's but that, you're a part timer. There's also full timers that are like, don't fucking close us. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I talk to some of the full timers, and they also don't want to be closed, but they are starting to understand it now as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're here to live with it. This is an endemic, not a pandemic. <laughs> have you got a smile? I do. I have a smile, and it's it's actually it's a bit strange. Right, so I, I yeah. talked to you before we were recording about um, the cold and how yeah. it is fucking Baltic, but I'm <laughs> ever so slightly happy about it right. because the last couple of weeks, it's usually in November in Ireland, it is freezing. Where it's probably mm. it's probably our coldest month of the year. You better not be fucking smiling around fucking climate change. I am. I am. <laughs> you dickhead. Sorry, just, 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 just listen, okay? The summer, the summer was very humid, very sticky, as we say. Okay, <laughs> sticky, sticky. It and it was, really. it was, it was, it was a grand summer. It was already, yeah. But it continued to stay warm up until November. Like even last, like before this week, 
11 and 12 degrees in November is fucking. Mm. It's mm. so warm. You could go around yeah, in a hoodie. It's still autumn, man. It's not. It's not winter yet. What? This is the misconception. November isn't winter. It's November. Is it not no- November, December, January? No, it's December, January, February, spring. And this is like this. What pisses me off when every year this pisses me off when everyone's like, "Oh, first of February, it's spring." It's like it's not. It's not until March when the when the equinox happens. That's that's the sort of celestial spring, and that's the change of the weather. But everyone's like, "Oh, first first of February is spring." It's like it's not. We're still we're still in winter months. Okay, well, still November is prob is usually one of our colder months of the year, mm. and it actually it's strangely they're given they're given all the snow and ice for for the coming week. So you know, no, no, I'm just saying I'm happy it's not warm anymore. I like the warm, but mm. it's getting slightly concerned. It was getting a little bit too warm for November. All right, so your so climate change isn't as bad as you thought it was. That's the. No, climate oh. climate change is bad. I'm just it's, like, it's not affecting us yeah. just yet. That's what I'm happy about. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what I said. No. It's it's a strange smile. It is a fucking I'm strange ki- smile. kinda happy it's cold again. Kind of because climate change isn't as bad, I think. Is that what you're saying? Well I was I was like, concerned oh, that it was good. Oh close one. We're, we're having a cold winter like we're supposed <laughs> to have. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time I I went to the gym <laughs> at half six this morning. I could not feel my hands. Animal. Oh, wow. could, oh fuck! Six. It was fucking beast mode. Put my hands in those bars. It was just like, oh, it was just like <laughs> holding solid ice. It was mm-hmm. horrible. Animal, fair play to. Yeah, that's that's an unusual smile. I get it. I get it. I, yeah. I, I eventually got it. But uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. It, my, took, it took a bit of getting there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my my smile. I was at the rugby match at the weekend. Mm. Ireland versus Argentina. Ireland absolutely battered the bollocks out of them. They did, yeah. Argentina scored in the first two minutes, and that was it. <laughs> Ireland just it didn't happen ran again. over them. Yeah, so it was. It was nice. It was nice to be at an event. I wore my mask the entire time. I wore my mask walking on the road into the stadium, anywhere where I congregated a large amount of people. I wore my mask, but uh, it was great. Great being up there. Great uh, seeing the result. But the funniest thing, there was a, a gay gay guy behind us. He was drunk, and you know. Why does it? Why is? Why does it matter that it was gay? Because his commentary on the match was absolutely fucking gay and hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting there. We seven days we're sitting there, and we're fucking nudging each other, and we're like, so obvious. You don't want to make it obvious that we're laughing at what he's saying, but like, he's like the, an Argentina so He's like, look at number twenty three. Look how white his shorts are. He is not doing nothing. He's standing out there. His shorts are clean. He's obviously not doing anything. <laughs> and, um, one of the other ones then was. Um, but like the real question needs to be asked is when is the physio going to take a scissors out and cut James Lowe's hair because it's a fucking travesty. <laughs> and then so obviously Ireland are hammering, hammering Argentina. People are leaving like with 10 minutes to go. And he's everyone that's walking past. He's pointing at them going, shame, shame, shame. I'm sorry. Did you hear a whistle go? I didn't hear a whistle go. And you're leaving. Shame, much, shame, Much like shame. the woman in Game of Thrones. This is what he was doing, but he was shaming them for leaving the match early. Did he have a and bell? just saying to them, I didn't hear a whistle go. Did you hear a whistle go? I didn't hear the whistle go. They still seem to be playing out there. <laughs> I think it's um, criminal of you that you didn't get him a bell that he could clock as he shouted <laughs> shame. shame at them. <laughs> <Dong>. <laughs> and then, um, so for anyone who's seen the match, one of the Argentina Argentinian players was uh, sent off. Pretty fucking dirty tackle. Um, was delivered straight red card, and they're showing the replay in the in the stadium. And he's like, "Well, that's just rude. That is just rude." 
and we are fucking breaking our bollocks listening to all of the commentary as he gets drunker and drunker but uh, it was absolutely we were just fucking shaking trying not to laugh at the, at the end of it you know before the end I was like I had to turn around to him I was like I, I, just the match is over. I was like, is it okay to leave now? I said, I wanted to leave for the last 20 minutes, but I was afraid you were going to shame me. <laughs> so the, hi- the highlight of your attendance at the Ireland and Argentina game was not the game itself, but was the commentary of a homosexual man behind you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it made me smile. It made me, it made me laugh. The game, was, the game was good, but he was brilliant. I made a good bit of crack then uh, talking to him afterwards. But it was, but you know, it's like, and he can, you know, we can clearly hear everything. And it's like, but how do we make it not obvious that we're fucking listening to everything he's saying? <laughs> so he, he, was, he was my smile this week. That's my smiles and riles and your smiles and riles. Yeah. This is your last week, my man. It is. I'm yeah. taking, we'll call it a break. I won't, we won't say I'm leaving. You're on sabbatical. I'm on. I'm being suspended. <laughs> make you sound more, make you sound more badass. <laughs> yeah, we've had to suspend for insulting the Emilys <laughs> and telling Andrew to fuck off and everything else. <laughs> and abusing What's it been the like for you? Today? I think I think anyone that's listened to the podcast would definitely be able to see the transition that you made and your comfortableness as you as as the episodes have gone on and your professionalism around it. What was it like for you for from when you came on to, to as you finish up now? Well, before I started the podcast here, I was, I was a guest, obviously, way back mm. when. Any podcast I've done has been from a purely journalistic point of view. So if I was interviewing someone, I had a list of questions. I knew everything about what they were going to talk about. So that if they mm. if they answered, I could base a question off that answer. It's a little bit different with this because you can't really determine what someone's going to talk about. Uh, when when we contact people, mm. they obviously give us a little bit of an overview about what it's been like for them. But you can't you can't how do I say this? You can't determine what their mental health is going to be until you're actually hearing mm. them talk about it. Yeah. So there's a it's a lack of preparation, I suppose, compared to what I'm used to. But it's not something you you, freestyle it, man. Yeah, but you can't gonna wing it. But it's not even like your own lack of preparation. It's something you can't really prepare for. No, because you don't know what they're going to say. It's different when you interview someone from a journalistic point of view. You kind you have an idea of where they're going to go, and you obviously have your own angle. You want them, you want to steer them towards. So it was a bit of a shock jumping onto this and realizing that no matter how much preparation you can do for an episode, doesn't really count too much in the interview because <laughs> yeah. it just kind of gets thrown out the window as soon as I say, "Oh yeah, well I had um I tried to try to kill myself this one time," and then all your preparation's gone. <laughs> it goes out the window but you're still you know I, I thought last week you were very good on um, you know the history of the Tune Babies you were great um, in as people will hear in our upcoming interview with Linda you know you knew about the corruption in South Africa and stuff like that you, you have that journalistic um, background to draw upon you know and I think that's I think that's great and, uh, Peter said it a, a while back you know, you know it's great to see Great to see you get more comfortable with it, and and I think you have, and I think you you relaxed into it, and um, obviously there's an adjustment that okay, oh shit, I can't be fully prepared for this, and look, I I talk to people, I talk to people every day. This this is my job, and you know you'll text me, oh, do you think we'll get fifty minutes or an hour out of this person? I'm like, yeah, grand, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, when you mm-hmm. when you're used to pulling teeth out of a teenager, that their only answer is I don't know, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know. And you got to fucking do that for 50 minutes. Like, you know, people that are willing to talk, it's it's an easier. But it, that's a life skill that I've learned. Mm. And, you know, I think as you've gone along, you've you've learned that. And, you know, your input has 
um, has been great, you know, from sitting back, sitting in the pocket, you know, perhaps, I don't know if it's true, maybe a little bit out of your depth because, as you said, you couldn't you couldn't prepare for it to, to getting in there and getting stuck in. And, you know, there's times where I'm texting you going, you know, ask don't be afraid to ask a question. Like, I fucking can't. <laughs> the person won't won't stop talking. I'm not getting I'm not getting a chance to come in. But you've you've certainly graduated above that, and I think it's great. And I I've loved it because you know it's where where do you get the opportunity to to record a podcast with with your son? Mm. And and my whole goal of this was to try and give you that experience of one. Get in here, earn your stripes. It's a safe environment to do it. We can fuck up. We can have the chat. We can have the crack. And um, so it was great. I loved, I loved, I loved their chats. There's also, like, as much as you'd like to say it's our podcast, this is your podcast. So when, yeah, when we're in an interview, never been it for me. there is, there is a certain level of authority. You probably don't even feel it, but you're, you're the expert on the topics generally that we mm. talk about. Mm. There's, there's very few instances where you're not the most learned of me, you or Peter. So mm. I generally try to let you take the reins when it comes to mm. asking questions because you're the expert you mm. you know what questions to ask in order to get people to talk more about their mental health when it comes to the journalistic side of it and like you said the history of the tune babies and all i can ask questions there because i'm not out mm. of my depth but like you said i there, yeah, is, there yeah. is instances where i am out of my depth because i'm not a mm. mental health expert but that's but that's and i mean that's what peter was so great at of and you know when peter said he was stepping out and i should continue it on my own i was like I don't want to do that, like, cause that's just a monologue, mm. you know, and I know what I know, but, you know, what Peter was great at and was asking the questions from uh, the ignorant point of mm. view in, in terms of ignorant as in lack of knowledge. Mm. I go, I don't know, Ex- explain this to me. And, you know, I think you were great in stepping into that last week. And I heard it last week, you, you know, you were putting questions to me then as well. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's fucking, he's, he's got it. Like, you know, and I think, you know, you live with yourself. But I think any of our listeners, you know, if they listen back, they'll hear, they'll hear that change in your own style. And, you know, I think you've been, I think you've been brilliant at it. And, you know, it's been great. I, I've loved it. I loved just, you know, our bits at the start and shooting the breeze and catching up. And it's a different dynamic, obviously, as a, as a father and son. But, you know, where did, where else are you going to hear a mental health podcast with a, with a father and mm. son? I've been here for, well, I think we're 22 or 23 episodes in now mm. since Michelle has left and I've kind of stepped mm. in. So it's a bit like that's that's 23 weeks. Yeah, it is. It is still it might not feel like, but it, it's it's a long time. Mm. So I, I am grateful for the experience I've had here and I've enjoyed every second of it. Before you get suspended, we'll, we'll <laughs> go with that. Make it make it sound badass. Is there anything you'd like to you'd like to express to the listeners and to the people that have contacted us and reached out to us? Just, I just want to express gratitude, like from mm. the listeners, like Paul and Andrew, who you know are are shouting us out every week and letting us mm. know how they're getting on. It it really does mean a lot. Seeing that there is people who just love the podcast as much as we do, or more so even, mm. like Paul, yeah, who yeah. can listen to several episodes several times. Yeah, it's it's a dynamic you don't experience until you've actually experienced it. Mm. And it's just, I'm so grateful to everyone that, that does listen and to those that come on and talk about their mental health. Like as we talk about at the start of every show, there's a stigma around mental health. So mm. it's it has to be difficult for those to come on to a podcast and spend an hour talking to people they don't know about something so deeply personal, particularly yeah. when it comes to the episodes around people, you know, who have had dark, dark past. 
and mm. you know they might not have shared it with people before and their first experience we've had it before their first experience of sharing it has been on this podcast like i i'm not great at talking about my own mental health so i i can attest to it myself it's a difficult thing to do mm. and it must be even harder for guests to come on and do it with people they don't know yeah of course absolutely well i'm sure i speak for the listeners and express our gratitude of thank you thank you for for being able to keep the podcast going um, and you know being in there for for 20 odd episodes when we've both been under pressure we've always pulled it together you know and you know it's great so thank you thanks for stepping in and thank you on behalf of the listeners because i know they will they will be grateful as well well thanks for having me on i've loved to hear and just i suppose for a listener who hasn't listened to an episode yet and they're wondering why i'm leaving mm-hmm. i've got a lot on my plate currently yeah. with i've currently got two jobs and then i've got college as well so trying to fit in it sounds ridiculous but trying to fit in two hours mm. on a thursday morning is very difficult for me currently so That's how extreme it is until i get all my assignments out of the way and i can put college behind me at least for now i'll um be taking a break i mean temporarily suspended on behalf of being far <laughs> too you're cool badass. you're a fucking roll yeah, cop exactly and in your badge and your gun exactly <laughs> but they don't know i have another gun in my sock <laughs> all right one last time cameron alan clark thank you one last time and this week we're talking to linda linda is a former police officer and now is stay at home linda as she calls herself linda how's it going i'm good and you I'm good, thank you very much. Linda, before we get into the interview itself, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Um, okay, um, I'm 30, oh goodness, I'm 37 almost. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a single parent of three young children, um, a nine-year-old, soon to be 10, a seven-year-old, and oh my goodness, a four-year-old. So I wow. have my <laughs> work cut out for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I am in South Africa. I used to be a sergeant in the South African police service. And yeah, now I work from home. I started my own online business. So I'm all about, you know, being a stay-at-home parent right now. And I'd say being a sergeant in the South African police was an easier job than trying to manage three children <laughs> as a single parent. No, you're funny <laughs> enough, actually, you know, you have a point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I can't comment on the kids. I don't have any. Yeah, well, I have I have one of you, and I can fucking say that <laughs> it's not an easy job. <laughs> so you were you were a police officer. You were a sergeant. What um, going back to before you? Started, what got you into it in the first place, Linda? Um, what, what appealed to you I, about that work? I actually didn't know this. I only found out about it after I joined the police. But um, my grandfather was apparently a detective before huh. he became a farmer. But at the time of me joining, I was I I applied three times. I was 18. You can only apply once a year. So I was 18, 19, 20. I tried every year. Mm. So, um, by the time I turned 21, I finally got a call back to go do all the um, physical and psychometric and all those type of tests. But I had friends in the police. My um, 
best friend at the time was started out as a reservist and then she joined the police and I stayed in a complex I don't know if you if you know you know what that is like I don't I don't know how you guys um, have mm. your housing situations but it was like a, a almost like flats uh, apartments mm. and um, we were so many in in one area um, it was actually quite nice and most of the people who stayed there because it was cheaper housing uh, were policemen and I was a teenager and and I thought these people are so much fun <laughs> let me <laughs> give it a go but even when I was in school I I wanted to be a detective and and it just didn't start that way but ended up that way eventually I did become a detective mm. and so you, you get in there you finally get in you were you're obviously determined to try it a couple of years in a row and and you got in there. What what was it like then when you when you got in? You started your training. Was it everything you thought it was going to be, or were you in no. for a rude awakening? <laughs> a very rude awakening. Um, <coughs> I understood the fitness. I was so fit. I mean, I could climb walls and I exercised and I I did everything that I mm. possibly could because it was been something that I really wanted to do and um when i got there <laughs> we got off the bus so we have a few uh, police training academies in south africa we have the big one in pretoria um which is like our capital then we have um in the eastern cape which is more rural and then we have in cape town we have two so the one is considered like the nice one and the other one is where I ended up. <laughs> I ended up <laughs> in Bishop Lavis Training Institution in Cape Town. And it is, if you know anything about the, the social situation and crime in South Africa, Bishop mm -hmm. Lavis is in the heart of the Cape Flats. That is where the gangsters and, and, and things... So we were confined to the training academy, but around us, we could hear the shots going at night. We, uh, I hear goosebumps when I think about it because I was a 21-year-old naive. Oh, actually, when I started, it was just after my 22nd birthday. So I was so naive and, and, and I was so scared. <laughs> so when we got off the bus at the training um, institution, they kind of, threw our luggage at us and said, run. Wow. I got my few bags that I had and you just had to run to the parade ground and then they assign you your, your dormitories. The men um, shared rooms to, to the women shared dormitories. We were 36 in one big, I don't know Jesus. what you call it, hallway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was, um, it was a, it was a, shocking experience to me and the and the first five months was all about training and and learning how to operate you know firearms and i never touched a firearm before in my life i was mm. so scared and if i think about the person i used to be back then i can't believe i'm the same person but i was i was so young i, I mean 22 and knowing nothing mm. um the best part about that uh, six months altogether was um, being surrounded by people of diff 
different cultures, different uh, races, different um, social standings, and and my eyes opening to um, things I never knew. So it, it was that was that was the best part because the more you know, the the better you know mm. you, you turn out eventually. <laughs> what kind of what kind of painted this picture that. Uh... At the end of apartheid and Mandela become a president, that South Africa was glorious. We win the World Cup, you know, everything is great. We got a black player in the team. Oh, <laughs> was know, that the reality touching, of the country at the time? No, you're touching on something now that I got into a conversation with someone last night and then, oh, TikTok, you know? <laughs> <laughs> TikTok. started this whole thing and i ended up on pages and um no it's it's unfortunately not paradise Mm. um i know other countries have the same type of issues but um in in especially the past few weeks there's been so much going on that that i feel that we're almost going backwards in a way but the positive me and the and the one who wants to see all the best is um, actually looking forward to big changes coming because the younger people are stepping up and we recently had our municipal elections and I'm so excited because so many young people have become mayors of cities. Um, there's one guy who's only 24 and he's no. now the mayor of a town and I'm excited. Here that Cam, because... get your fuck, get your fucking finger out. You got a 24 year old. He's a mayor. The fuck are you doing? All right, you're no. in your 40s. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm fucking changing the world, man. One podcast at a time, one client at a time. Yeah. 24 and a mayor. Wow. Yeah, things are changing. Things are happening. And I'm excited about that um, because the older, obviously, politicians and things are not going great. But, um, mm. yeah, like you said, with our part, it wasn't 1994, like a little magic wand. Everything mm. changed. No, there are mm. still people with. Um, terrible prejudice anyway i've actually i've i've as as i think of it now i think probably outside of ireland my most the most clients i've had from another country is actually south african there are so many people moving yes my my brother and my sister-in-law they're staying Mm. in scotland my sister is staying in New Zealand, mm-hmm. so. Um, well, I, th- I think I think my point on that, Linda, was uh, a lot of mental health issues just stemming from the country. Yes. You know, it's a lot. that that attitude of white is right and yes, yes, conflict. Mm. But because, you're you're thrown you know, into it as a as a young woman. <laughs> you you're know, given. Yeah, the thing is that. White people in South Africa, um, I'm, I'm even speaking about myself because I learn each day, mm. um, feel attacked when, when, when that is not the issue at all. It's, it's um, I, I mean, I experienced hatred towards white people, but that does not mean I was oppressed by a, a black person or a yeah. person of color. Yeah. So, but, but, because we were as young people thrown into now this is 1994 now we are the rainbow nation but we were brought up in a different way Mm. we don't realize how bad it actually was and what oppression actually means 
So I understand completely why white people would feel that way. But I also feel that they, we, me, us, should educate ourselves and understand where that feelings or those feelings are coming from. It, it's so complicated. You can't just fix a country like this and mm. it's all, you mm. know. As, as a police officer in South Africa, you're armed. You're, you're an armed police force. We're not in Ireland for people around the world. Uh, really? Uh, no, yeah, yeah. We're not armed. Yeah. Detectives, some detectives are armed. Um, but no, we're, we're an unarmed police force. What's it like as a young woman? You know, you come out with you, you come out with training, and say, like, "Here you go. There's a gun." Now, as I said, all around you, you're hearing the shots go off. What, what's it like to, to to step out into that world then, as a as a newly trained police officer? Um, thankfully, I was stationed at a station where, um, in Paul, it was my hometown at that time, and uh, again segregation um paul is um, a very calm station it's surrounded by richer people mm. um nicer areas but like right next to it like there's a there's one street dividing paul and paul east paul east is um where the poorer people stay uh, it's it's changing thankfully but um, where more of the crime happens and a lot of people living in Paul East would then, you know, go break in, in the rich houses in Paul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I never had a violent crime where I had to pull my firearm while I was staying in Paul. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I, I was transferred. Not unfortunately, I loved working at my next station, but when I was transferred, there were there there have been incidences where I had to uh, use a firearm. Luckily, I didn't shoot it <laughs> at that you know place. But um, it depends on station to station. But when I just left police college, I was in a safer environment. Um, I was there for eight years, and then when I was transferred to a west coast town. Um, it, it was a much bigger area to cover. It had the richer people as well as the poorer people. Mm. And, um, and, and there were drugs, um, a lot of it. And, and that, is, that is actually where I learned more than in my previous eight years at that power station. In that West Coast town, um, the police station was very small. But the people I learned from were way more experienced and um, the situations I found myself in as a detective, because a detective obviously sees a little bit more, goes to more scenes. And um, uh, I think that is where I got most of my training in a, in a short, actually year and a half, not even two years. I, I experienced more in that time than my entire career. Mm -hmm. Linda, I don't know if this is a question you can or want to answer, but you're actually not the first South African female police officer I've interviewed. And the la the last one I interviewed was was back in 2019. And she spoke to me a lot about corruption. 
and an investigation into South African police by the Independent Police Investigative Directorate had recorded that there was 42,000 complaints of police brutality from beatings to torture between 2012 and 2019 and she attested to this is this something you can attest to now feel free not to answer this question i know it's a little bit heavier you know that same exact town where i feel like i gained most of my experience i saw things and um, i tried to distance myself not knowing what i know now i think if i was um, taught better or or was more confident, I would have stood up to more of my colleagues. But um, people have lost respect for South African police members. Um, I'm not, obviously, I don't condone violence and um, beatings and police brutality. Um, but there's also a very fine line. Um, how do I explain this without sounding like an extreme? Um, like, for instance, I had a, a normal drug case docket and um, uh, the suspect or the person that was arrested didn't go to court. So there was a warrant for his arrest. So I went to his house and he wasn't there and I spoke to his mother and I explained to her what was happening. And she said to me, don't worry, I will bring him to the police station the next day at six o'clock in the morning. So she did, um, because that area had respect for the police, even though there was police brutality from some members. So I'm, I'm not saying that's how you, you get respect, but people were, were more conscious of you know, giving the, um, oh, I'm thinking in Afrikaans and I'm trying to speak in English, giving <laughs> the, okay, uh, what is samenwerking cooperation? Cooperation is the word that I'm looking for. Mm. So I don't condone police brutality, but I do see a difference at stations where there are more cases. Um, I, I, I feel that there should be better training on this and, how to get people to respect you without using violence. Mm -hmm. um, again, that station taught me so much, but that station also had so many issues with police brutality. Corruption, oh my goodness. It's one of the reasons, <clears throat> excuse me, why I left, why I resigned. Because you don't know who to trust. You, you, the corruption is ridiculous. It's, um, and, and, and South African police members have this idea that they're not getting paid enough money, which is probably true. But if you compare it, our, econ our economy with private uh, sectors, police get paid. Really, they do. It's, it's mm. not like they are all poor. I don't think there's enough training or uh, support on how to handle your finances at all. Because most South African police officers join when they are 18, 19 years old, when they've never had a job before in their life. They're never taught how to manage their finances and sometimes get into massive debt. 
And what's heartbreaking to me is is people that I loved and that I worked with and that I had uh, situations with, they, they, they got caught doing illegal things. And, and it's heartbreaking to me because it's someone I thought I could trust. So that's one of the many reasons why I resigned because I don't want to be put in a situation like that ever again. <laughs> yeah, just your... I, sorry, Ken, go ahead. Your, your thoughts on the lack of training in the police force what was mirrored by the IPID, the, the, the organization who did the investigation. They said it was mostly due to a lack of training and being taught that the only way to get respect from criminals was to just beat them. So obviously you share the same thoughts on that. Um, the, the training, um, even though it was difficult for me in those six months, um, the, oh, I, I hope I don't get into trouble for this. <laughs> but okay. the, the commander of the police college that I was at um, had never done basic training himself. He was a headmaster at a school somewhere and he had the qualifications for the rank that was the post was advertised for. So he had the qualifications, but he had never done basic police training. He was not a constable. I think he was a reservist, um, so he did know the ranks, but he was appointed in a senior position without having done that training himself. So, oh, and and also we had, uh, not that you can compare police brutality to what we endured, endured but we were also uh, taught with force. Um, I was one of the very few white people in the college and, and one of the instructors, um, a black man, w would, would, would be angry with me or, or would bully me because of my skin color, which I understand now. Now I get that. But as Reverse a 32 year old, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I actually have um, different opinions on reverse racism because um, I, I, I actually don't believe that it really exists because the minority white people in South Africa, we are min minority, are still not oppressed. So racism mm. is oppressing mm. and, and white people are not oppressed, even though they feel that way. Um, and it was very difficult for me to understand until I educated myself better. I, I was also one of those that felt that I am being, uh, that people were being racist towards me when actually they were not, they were projecting. Mm. Um, and yeah, in the end, I just wish everyone could just be better and do better. But unfortunately we do live in the world that we do. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, and the other thing about joining the police after so many years after apartheid is you are really in the minority. We were so, that's why I wasn't approved for the police for those few years that I applied because there was only a minimum of white people that were able to join. So, yeah, it, it was a learning thing for me. And, mm. and well, the way people try to force, the instructors try to force us to respect them 
is what we took to the stations as young police officers. We also wanted to enforce respect instead of earning it. And that is one of the biggest problems. And some training courses are really, really well done. There, there are training things in South Africa that I have the utmost respect for. That are, uh, We have some of the best trainers, but um, obviously one bad apple can, can ruin everything. So mm. we do have lack of training in some areas. Basic training, I feel, is one of them. Um, but then when I did my detective course, I thought it was the best course in the world. I, I, I had never experienced better training. Um, so it depends on the course and the trainers and, and the situation. But yeah, we, basic training is terrible <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> in my opinion. We speaking in sort of broad terms as being a police officer in South Africa. Uh, if we were to narrow that down a little bit, what was it like to be within that environment? Is there any difference or does gender come into it at all? Um, I think we are lucky that um, we we are normally seen as equals. Uh, I was seen as an equal. There was obviously, there was this one lady I worked with. That, oh, my goodness. Um, she, she didn't know what she was doing most of the time. And... Um, people generalize when when they meet her a person like her um because she was she would rather wear the office wear to work than the than the operational wear because it's heels and um she gets to work inside um and she was very uh i think i'm a girly girl but i think she was a bit more of a girly girl and sometimes put us in a bad spot but in general the women that i have worked with um and and the men's reaction to the women we are basically cre uh, treated as equals so i i, I never did, saw did that stand point. within within the community then as well you know by your peers perhaps you were treated equally but you know out on the streets we'll say was about um i think so i think i think some women are actually treated better than the men because there is such a hatred for policemen that mm. um that I, I i never experienced inequality like i'm being looked over or i'm being disrespected because i'm a woman in fact i got more respect in in some cases for being a woman mm. i think I think I think South Africa is pretty good in that in that way. It's like there is there's, there's, mm. I've never experienced inequality because I'm a woman. What does so you advanced from your police officer and you went to detective? But what, what changed then as as a detective in in South Africa? What what did life look like? Uh, that that was an eye opener for me because when you work shifts. You attend complaints, like the visible policing part. You attend complaints. You um, uh, open cases for people who complain or, or have issues, or you work out um, issues in the moment, domestic violence or whatever. Mm. And then you finish your shift and you go home. A detective, <laughs> I, I was uh, I'm also looking for the English word now, but I, I was like, 
so overwhelmed and they basically threw me in the deep end my very first day they said to me okay you are on standby you are getting all the new cases and i'm like i've never touched a docket in my life where i actually have to investigate but i'm thankful especially my commander oh my goodness that was the best uh, he was like my father um mm. and i think the detectives have are closer than people working just on the vehicles outside uh there's a bond um which in 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 which made it difficult for me to see colleagues you know there was the whole police brutality thing because we work so closely together and then i have to take myself out of a situation to just not be one of the people hitting suspects around i don't know but yes, the detectives was <clears throat> amazing. My commander was Lieutenant Colonel Patuleni. Um, unfortunately, he passed away last year, December with COVID, but only because he was so stubborn, <laughs> didn't want to go to the doctors. And But that is one of the things that I loved about him. And um, he always treated us like his children. And, and that is one thing about the detectives that I just absolutely loved mm. one one of the things we on the on the podcast in in the past linda is people know and a number of my friends are Gardy cops in ireland and that brings me into contact with other cops and obviously i'm a psychotherapist and i'm talking to cops who come across traumatic scenes and they experience trauma things that has struck me from client work from you know people that are in the emergency services you know firemen etc you come across a lot of horrific things there is no training um, one particular told me a story of coming across a scene which involved a shotgun so um that is not going to be anything and possibly be trained for did work did you experience trauma you you witnessed some traumatic events or seen some traumatic sites and um training for that there's no training to prepare you but there is um a unit within the police service we call ehw um it's employee health and wellness so after scenes they are supposed to counsel you but again those people have lack of training so it's it's not always helpful um i i had one incident where i was forced to speak to one of those people and i don't actually want to swear but when i walked out yeah, you can I, swear far away I wanted to say what the fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what no, was we, that now for? You know, we swear a lot here. Um, don't worry. <laughs> and the other scenes that I probably needed to speak to someone to, I didn't because I felt that was a waste of time. But again, that is um, the people that work at EHW or police officers but they did not go through basic training, working complaints, being whatever. They were appointed from outside. If you have a degree in psychology Mm. or you are a pastor and you have the qualifications, 
you can walk into a rank without going through all of the things that a normal basic training uh, police mm. officer go through. So, so that is a problem. So uh, police officers don't trust the people at EHW. Really. Because they have been coppers, basically. Yes. Yeah. So you, you find it harder you... to talk to them because they haven't lived the same experiences that you have had to endure. Yes. They, they can speak to you about what they learned with their degrees, but mm -hmm. um, they never experienced it themselves. Um, I uh, that is actually why I believe so many police officers have drinking problems, domestic violence issues, um, just you know to name a few. But um, mm -hmm. uh, there's one guy that I absolutely loved working with. He had a massive gambling problem, massive, like to the extent where I had to financially help him out and. And I didn't want to, but you also don't want to see your friends struggle. Um, so yeah, it's it's very it's actually so sad. <laughs> it makes me sad to think people uh, end up in situations like that. And addictions is like massive. So you you feel that these addictions stem from not having someone in the police force that has has went through the experiences that most officers do, and they can't talk about it. Yeah. There, there was also uh, two people that I worked with, not very closely, but we were uh, at the same station, that got addicted to drugs and in, in lost their jobs. And, you know, um, actually, I have so many stories uh, about uh, police officers losing their jobs, either to corruption or addiction or, um, and it's heartbreaking. I, I loved my 14 years in the police. I absolutely loved it. And I love the people that I work with. Um, I, I just don't, you don't, just don't know who you can trust anymore. And I have three small children and, and obviously don't want to uh, be involved with illegal things or, or stuff like that. That must, must create a huge conflict for you though. That these are people <laughs> you work with, these are your colleagues, and then they're doing so bad. witnessing. <laughs> Yes, it's very sad. Um, and to this day, I mean, I, I haven't, I only resigned on the 1st of February this year, but I haven't been at work since July 2020. Um, so there was some time that I got paid where I wasn't actually at work. And um, I always used to judge other people who did the same thing, like would book off sick or stress or whatever and still get paid until I was in that situation where I couldn't cope with what was happening in my life. And obviously you don't get support from your employer. So you, you, you know, I learned to not judge until I'm in that same situation, um, which is why I then left in the end. Mm -hmm. Was it the stress of the job, life that, that was getting on top of you, Linda? That... Um, I uh, I had a situation where, like I said, my brother's in Scotland, my sister's in New Zealand, and mm. then my mother, we were staying in Cape Town or Western Cape area. We, we were staying in Paul, and my mother moved to Nelspruit in Mpumalanga, which is on the other side of the country. And 
I then had no support. It's COVID. I have three children who can't go to school because schools are closed and I still have to work. Um, so I put in a transfer to come to Nelspruit and um, it was turned down. And then I eventually, after a few months of struggling to get somewhere with someone high up or provincial or someone, I eventually resigned because I just couldn't take the back and forth anymore of, you know, what is happening? Will I be able to work? Will I not be able to work? But in those same few months, um, someone I worked with um, got assassinated as well. So, um, and it was not at the hands of other police officers, but I do feel that corrupt police officers have hands have their hands in, in situations like that. And then I realized if I get transferred and I start working at this new station, um, I don't know the people there. How do I know I can trust the person I'm in the car with? And it's a sad reality. And um, there were um, cops not directly involved in the assassination, but um, had had definitely had a hand in that. So, so sad, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I don't think people can fathom that of what it's like to, you know, oh. we all you go into an office and you think Sharon's a fucking bitch, or Tony's a bit of a prick, you know. But that, but you don't have to deal with this corrupt yes. politics. But you don't have to deal with well, can I trust this person? You know, exactly. she might fucking hang me to the boss. I took a 15 minute longer break, but you're not dealing <laughs> like anything you've described. Yeah. And, and I have to think of my children. I mean, my younger, my older two children, my son, um, Ruben and my daughter, Emma, basically grew up in a police station when I had time. Um, over weekends that I had to catch up on admin or something, being a detective, I mean, the admin is forever. Mm. Um, I used to take them with me. If one of them got sick, um, I would take fetch them from daycare and bring them to the office with me. But that was a safe environment for, to, for them to be. Um, I would not have done that at a different police station. I mean, each um, station is different because after my... West Coast Station, I was um, transferred to Cape Town and there's no way I would have taken my children into one of those stations. Um, but that is all they knew. They knew me going to work early in the morning, coming back late. And with the change and me working from home, that is like, um, even though they are so young, that was something that we had to get used to and uh, find each other. And that in itself was, uh, was, was so weird. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But fun now, a year later. So yeah. I, I think I think what you're helping to give, Linda, is you know, we've had we've had a few guests on from from the States and obviously the racism and, and police brutality and you know, everything that everyone is familiar with around the world around the police in the United States. But at the end of the day, you know, cops, people see a uniform you know, you represent a system, but at the end of the day, cops are people and they have children and good cops 
have to put up with bad cops and they have to witness things. But at the end of the day, it's 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 a person and an, and an individual. Um, you know, I didn't want to say this, um, but I feel that, especially having this conversation about two weeks ago, I think it's not two weeks. Um, there was this incident. Uh, it was on camera. Someone took a video of it, and it went viral on Facebook and everywhere, where a man, I don't know if he was under the influence of, of something, I can only say what I saw in the video, were um, shouting at cops. Um, the cops had been called and they attended the scene, but they were very, I, could, I recognized immediately their state of mind. They were so relaxed. Like this guy, this guy is ranting and raving mm -hmm. and he's, and they mm -hmm. were just relaxed because they were thinking, ah, oh, this is another drunk guy or, you know, let him mm -hmm. just swear at me. And mm -hmm. I, I immediately recognized that. But then the situation escalated. The guy, um, brought a gun. I don't know if it was loaded, uh, but he was swinging it around and saying he's not scared of the police and whatever. And then he went to put the gun away. Now, according to our law, they should have shot him right there and then because you don't, you know, wave a gun around and, and, yeah, and get away with it. If you were in mm -hmm. America, you'd be dead. So that was <laughs> You would have reached opinion. for the gun and you were dead. <laughs> exactly. So, but he went to put it away. And then, um, but because he had it in his hands, one of the cops had his hand on his firearm and the other one had drawn her firearm but she's so small tiny little woman um and she had drawn her firearm now in that video i saw a few mistakes by the police um because there are regulations on wearing your bulletproof and we have i don't know where mine is i still have it somewhere a little string let you attach to your holster and your belt and your firearm so that someone can't take it away from you mm. in any situation. Now, this lady was not wearing her string and she had her firearm in her hand and this guy disarmed her. He took a firearm from her and then one of the other police officers shot him. He is in a coma right now, but that sparked when like South Africans went all crazy because it was then a race thing because the, the guy that got shot is a white man and the police officers were black. Started a race thing. It started a competence thing of our police. Um, started this whole thing. And then uh, you get your keyboard warriors. Mm. They don't think that what would they have done in that situation? You cannot disarm a police officer. You know, it's kind of like asking for it. Um, I mean, uh, legally, they um, did the right thing. They should have probably done it sooner. <laughs> but it's um, like Cameron said, the IPID investigating of police members, um, they are now investigating the case and... I, I don't think people realize that these police officers have families because of the stuff that's being said about them. And um, 
the I, I think because of situations like that, they come so calm and relaxed and they don't, they're not as alert as I think other countries' police officers would be. Um, and it sparked this whole outrage now. Mm. It's actually well, calming down for a bit now, but as soon as um, things change, I think the debate will come up again. Well, just like yeah. you said, as soon, as soon as that man pulled his own gun out, he that's an excuse for police to shoot him. I, I don't think it should have taken him disarming the female police officer. It should have happened before that, I think. But no, and, and that... at the at that first bit of going, well, you know, he was brandishing a firearm. Yeah, it was only when he went for this. I I think uh, also it's a small town, so I I do think that the police officers are too relaxed, and then it portrays badly on on everyone watching on their phones and Facebook mm. and this and that. And mm. then it looks like the police are lazy or incompetent or, or whatever. And that is the norm in South Africa, really. People always say that about police officers, but then don't realize that small little lady or that guy that, that fired the shot mm. um, have families and have, have, um, hearts and probably how how that guy must be feeling after he shot someone also i should say that the guy that did get shot was about uh about two meters tall (laughs) he was like the length of the door so he was a big guy so a lot of people saying yeah they should have tackled him and stuff like that i don't see that happening but Mm -hmm. but people don't always put themselves in the shoes of the police you you mentioned earlier um, that you've had to pull your firearm. It was actually such a funny situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pull a firearm. Eh, it was a funny situation. <laughs> it was funny. Um, when I was working in that small town, uh, or the not small town, in the west coast, uh, west coast town, um, I was about 14 kilometers away from where there was this big riot going on. Um, I was taking a statement from a lady and I had to like leave her and say, okay, well, um, I'll come back tomorrow <laughs> or later because they were screaming over the radio, help, help, help. Mm, mm. And there is a course in South Africa that you take um, crowd management course. Now, people who haven't done that course are not allowed to draw shotguns. Shotguns are only for people who have done the crowd management course. So I was the lucky winner on that Sunday. And thankfully, I was wearing jeans and tackies. Uh, sorry, tackies is um, sneakers. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing my uh, jeans and sneakers. And um, oh, uh, they were fashionable, so I can't call them running shoes. So <laughs> then um, I had to drive to the police station and I was alone because it was a Sunday and I'm only taking statements. I didn't have anyone with me. I had to drive to the police station at full speed and get as many shotguns as I can, even though we're not allowed to, you're supposed to take one. 
but because the situation was was so bad and people that were on the scene of where they were rioting were allowed to use shotguns so i took as many as i could and i had a student with me shame poor guy i don't even i i saw him once and never again because he was at the police station and i said come i don't care if you just joined the police yesterday just come you know and um we went to this uh, scene uh in a rural um um not not very rich area so um it's also a social issue where a lot of people living in those situations drink on weekends like they have uh, they they have cheap alcohol and they just drink mm. so it was a sunday uh, early afternoon and south africa also has a xenophobia problem i don't care who says what but there's xenophobia so mm. these two um i i don't know what what race they were but they were not south africans slapped a south african boy in his face and then the whole community being fueled by alcohol wanted to um harm these two guys so the guys locked themselves in a house now the house also had um like arch fencing so the van the police vehicle couldn't reverse to the front door so we had to cut those wires as well to get them to the front door so we can load these people and take them to a place of safety but now the community is like on this vehicle and so i get there the student was i couldn't i didn't even have time to load the shotgun so the student was freaked out and he was like in the van i said okay if you're not going to get out just at least you know keep these other firearms safe because i'm taking mm. one um so i took the shotgun and i had to fight my way through the crowd so that is also why i say there's a thin line with police brutality like you don't want to hurt someone but this the situation in that day was i because i didn't even have time to load it i had to use the back end of it too mm. and obviously people got hurt and i i'm not proud of it but you react in a situation <clears throat> and um finally got those guys free and then the next morning what what's funny about it um is the detectives don't drive marked vehicles so we drive the white mm. um uh, what is a bucky like a truck a pickup um so then i was in that same street where the incident happened and i went to take a statement from someone and the people were like oh, we didn't even know you were in the police we thought you were a social worker and we so sorry <laughs> about yesterday <laughs> <laughs> fucking social worker coming in with a shotgun <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was a lot less dramatic. Like, uh, mm -hmm. um, it was it was hectic in that moment because mm. you know you got the shotgun and there's this mm. lady and I was a lot skinnier than what I am now and um, I I think people got a fright. Um, but yeah, the the funniest thing was then after that people were just like calling me ma'am and. <laughs> 
No, not it was not my intention, but mm. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm lucky that I I've never had to pull a firearm in a, in a different situation, especially a loaded one. Even though we mm. carried our pistols all the time, and it was always loaded, I've never had to threaten someone with it. Same like that. Great. I think, you know, just to go back to the point I made earlier, I think you've done a, a marvelous job, Linda, of humanizing. You know, we don't see the person behind the uniform. We don't see what it's like to go, yeah, you know, I have to do what I have to do. I don't like that I have to do it, but I did. And, you know, I'm a single mom and I've had to, I've had to give up this job to focus on my children. And, you know, I faced corruption. I faced situations where I didn't know who I could trust. And, you know, we we don't see that. We just see a uniform, and that's that's all I think that people in any country see, and that we forget that there is a person and there is a a parent or the the, the child of a parent behind behind all of that. Yeah, I um, yeah, I appreciate that that I that I can give that um, view. I also think that. Um, uh, and not to be mean, but I do think most of us who has who are still in the police or have left are all a little bit crazy, <laughs> a little mm. bit not well. So um, yeah, we are human, um, but we are also. I don't like to think of myself as a victim, but a victim of circumstance in a way that um, I react. I have anxiety, like I've always had it, and but I don't react to normal social interactions as as you would think a normal person would, because um, we have a weird sense of humor as well. It, it's a bit dark, I think. Mm. Um, as a coping strategy, then do we hear the same? Yes. Anyone in so, those professions? Yeah. So not. Always, like when I'm in a situation or where I'm with people that, that know nothing about the police, then it's like um, they think I'm weird or I, I have I have social anxiety, but but mm. they think I'm I'm totally lost my mind. So it's difficult. Relationships, mm. relationships is like the worst. It's so difficult. It's, it's such a cliche, <laughs> I suppose. In yeah, in 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 all the movies, you know, you see the hardworking cop. You're working long hours, and the wife, the wife leaves him because he's never there. But that's the reality. Yeah, uh, well, you deal with a lot. You work a lot. I think I think the movies make it a little bit worse. There are detectives who are um, working longer hours, and then should. But the normal average policeman who works the visible policing shifts, um, they have their shift. Very few times you have to stay late if mm. um, if there's maybe an accident that happened mm. half past five and you're supposed to leave work at six. So there are few times that you mm. work late, but they also have their off times. I, I don't think... Um, that is really the reason why relationships don't work out because you spend so much time working with your shift members, shift members especially, um, that when you get to your off days, your, your rest days, because um, we work two day shifts, two night shifts, and then four days off. 
But that first day that you are off is, is also the morning that you come from your night shift. So, mm -hmm. so that's gone. Write that off. Yeah. Well, you're sleeping. Well, I'm, yeah, well yeah. when I was, before I was, <laughs> before I got married and I had children, I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> we used to party. <laughs> we used to come out of our night shift and still spend massive amount of time together, even though we were supposed to be with our families. Um, is it just that bond do you think linda is it just yes. that bond that's created through the through the job yes and and it's more fun being with them being with people that understand you hmm. because i ended up marrying someone who was not in the police he was not a police officer and that was that was one of our biggest things is hmm. why do i defend the people i work with why am i talking so much with this person or that person and it's just safer at work. Mm. I, I, I totally get the irony of saying that now that I've said it, it's safer at work. It's not. <laughs> it's emotionally safer at work and people who understand you and mm. um, that you enjoy their company and the weird sense of humor that we all share. I went, as I said, a number of my friends are guards and I come in contact with a lot of guardy, but myself and my friends we went to went to portugal playing playing golf it was i think it was actually the first year we went over and we're in portugal and there's the four of us or i think there's four of us and you know so it's me and three cops and then we come across this guy and he's playing on his own and we're like no no you you know you play through he's like no no you fire away so afterwards it's like the guy's kind of at the bar he's on his own it's like you know i'll invite him over because you know he, he was stuck behind us and he was happy he was just out sauntering around and of course what is he he's a fucking cop from england <laughs> So now it's me and four cops. And you know what cops <laughs> love fucking talking about? Being a cop. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But it's, it's, it's all consuming, isn't it? It's the job. It's, it's only other cops. You know, you get it. Doesn't matter what country you're in. You get it. You understand each other. There's, you know, there's just oh, something there. We just find each other. I don't know why. <laughs> that was Straight Talking Law Enforcement with Linda. We hope you liked what you heard. If so, give us a rating, subscribe, leave a comment. Or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast, by all means, share it with them or on your social media pages. It could make a big difference in their lives and in our lives. We'd love to hear from you. If there's anything you'd want us to cover or if you just want to get in touch with us, no dick pics, remember. You can get in touch with us by emailing <laughs> us at hello at stmhpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at stmhpodcast. Our website is the same, stmhpodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Mental Health. Remember, I've said it already, no dick pics. Unless it's to <laughs> me and you're a homie, there's a certain level of criteria you have to meet. <laughs> I'm going to throw over to Alan now for his signature line. Alan, take it away. Uh, different, different line this week. Again, I'm just going to say you look after yourself. This this is why you need to step away from the podcast. You need to look after yourself. So that's my that's that's my closing line this week. I don't look know how I feel yourself. about this change. <laughs> well, hopefully you get tired of it after one week and you jump back in. <laughs> All that look looking after, after yourself, myself. Kenny. Yeah. Now we're gonna throw over to Linda for our final word. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Linda, one of the one of the things we ask um one of the things we ask every guest that comes on to do is we invite them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings, something they've taken from life, whether it's a motto, whether it's creed, or just something that they've they've learned that they might like to impart with with our listeners around the world. Is there anything you've taken from this life 
that you'd like to share with everyone else? Um, I think your timing is so weird, <laughs> especially <laughs> okay. with the, like I said in the beginning with the conversations I've been having, my motto also coming from that uh, football team, our soccer mm. uh, thing, um, nothing but the best is good enough. But I never understood it until I applied it to myself, not, not relationships or, you know, getting the best of everything knowing that what you know in life is not everything you mm. learn every day like with this whole um uh, social problem we have after apartheid and the racism and 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 uh, victim victimization and, and all these massive issues that when i say nothing but the best is good enough and um i can't be a better version of myself if i don't educate myself if i don't put myself in somebody else's shoes you know uh, like like with our scops just try and, and and open your mind and not go through life with these little see now i have to translate in my blinkers what do you call no blinkers, blinkers on <laughs> 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 in afrikaans mm. like that through life and um yeah, that's basically that. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health.